to the International House of Horrors. Hello, valued guests, and welcome back to the International House of Horrors podcast, your sanctuary of spooky for all things terrible, horrible, bloody, gory, brutal, and the macabre. I am one of your curators, Joe Merle. And I'm the other one. I'm Josh. Hi. And we had a plan uh, last week. We came up with a plan of what we were going to do this week, and we were excited about that plan until about three days ago. Uh, (laughs) Josh had the the opportunity to see a movie at the theater and Tim and I had talked about it. And I was like, Oh man, it's not going to come out here until the 28th of December. It had like one day um, here at a very, very, very small number of theaters. in I think it was November and then December 28th, I think is when it's going to get a few more theaters and be a little more nationwide, but it did show up on video on demand. As soon as I saw it, I texted them a picture of it. I'd screenshot it. I said, Hey, it's available to rent. I'm going to watch it real quick. And I said, you want to change the, the topic? And he's like, yes, yes, yes. Cause as soon as he watched this movie, he starts sending me messages and he's like, Oh my goodness. I want to talk about it so bad, but I can't yet. Uh, so today we are going to be uh, discussing the new Lars von Trier film, the house that Jack built, and then go into some other of Von Trier's movies that we've seen. And we'll discuss him kind of as a filmmaker because I haven't seen all of his stuff. Um, Me neither. Yeah, there's there's a few out there that that I have yet to see. But the house that Jack built is his most recent outing, his his only outing. It's been, what, five five years since Nymphomaniac? I think it's been like five or six um, years even. I, I think so, yeah. yeah I, I mean, Nymphomaniac was like two movies almost. Right. But yeah, I don't think he has done anything since. No, I think Nymphomaniac was around 2013, and then that one just came out this year. I should have looked, uh, done a little bit more of my um, my homework. Yeah, but 2013. It, okay. Yeah, I just looked it up. Yeah, and, and Nymphomaniac was two parts, but in the same way that Kill Bill was two parts. He, he shot them all yeah. together, and I think he even wanted Nymphomaniac to be one long five-and-a-half-hour movie. And they were I'm like, no, sure, yeah. yeah, no, you can't do that. Like, we got to do uh, two movies. But we're going to start out talking The House That Jack Built. So <laughs> this movie, um, to start, it stars uh, Matt Dillon, who I thought was great throughout the movie. I thought his his performance was, yeah. you know, phenomenal, if not really quirky and weird. You get some, um, you know, Von Trier favorites in there. Uma Thurman's in there for a little bit uh, and a couple other characters here Bruno and there Gantz, right german uh yeah because, german actor and he was the um he was the guy at the what was his name um he was uh, nigel Ni- no, was it nigel like it was something like that he was the one in his head though right the one okay preface this we're gonna spoil this movie so yeah we're, we're, yeah we be, got we gotta because there's no way to talk about this movie without spoiling it um it really is something that you just have to get into the details because by the time we get there, the whole third act, not even third act, the last, the epilogue was like, what is going on? Um, okay, so, <laughs> this, okay, let's just walk through the movie. Movie opens up, and we've just got a black screen, and you hear Matt Dillon's voice is easily identifiable. He's got a pretty unique sound, and he's having a conversation, which with, um, it almost sounds like a, like a therapist. Like someone like a Virg is his name. Virgil. Okay, Virgil. Yeah. Yeah. So a it, it almost sounds like a conversation with a with a psychiatrist or a doctor of some sorts, and he's like, "Okay, I'll explain everything to you, 
over the course of these five things that had happened, these five incidents. And then the movie is then broken down into incident one through five. And then we get an epilogue. Uh, Which kind of reminded me a lot of Nymphomaniac right away, because that's kind of similar, right? She's, she's telling, I I think I've even heard, um, I've even heard in some other last one, Tria movie where some character says like, I'm going to tell you this and I'm going to choose random incidents. Like he says, random incidents. It's not special head picked. It's random incidents. And, uh, and yeah. you're right, also, Nympho- Nymphomaniac just, was the same way because the guy yeah, finds her. Yeah, the same movie. yeah it, 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 in so many ways it was. And in so many ways, when we had talked about Von Trier before, I said Nymphomaniac isn't one of my favorite movies. In a lot of ways, this movie, um, you know, paralleled that. And so I did, and not to say I didn't enjoy this movie. There were a lot of things I really enjoyed about it. But we'll talk about some of the things maybe I didn't like as much once we get to that point. But the the first incident... You know, Matt Dillon driving down the road and he finds Uma Thurman with a uh, a busted car jack. So her car's got a flat tire, this old Mustang. She can't jack it up. And her character, though, really quickly becomes even Shana didn't watch the whole movie with me last night. But even before Uma Thurman gets killed, she's like, I'd kill her. She's like, she's <laughs> she's such a mean, a mean and annoying woman. Um, and, and there was almost this, you know, and Von Trier's very well known for this meta level of storytelling. It's almost like there's always something else there that you can find. And she describes like laid out word for word, like, Oh, if you were a sk- serial killer, yeah, this would be perfect. Cause you already got the van going and, and we barely know each other. And mom told me I should never get in the van. And then we get to this, you know, he thunks her in the head with the, she even tells him like, if you wanted to do it, you could just grab that thing and hit me in the face with it. And it'd be strong enough to to kill me. And then she's like, "But you wouldn't do that because you're a wimp. You're weak. Like, there's no way you could you could do this." Yeah, like it's it's it it almost doesn't make sense because she's so annoying, and she almost she reminds me a bit of uh, in Mother. Um, we got uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, her her character is, is similar, like just annoying, and but they're meant that way. But yeah, with uh, the house that Jack built, it just. Um, I, you know, the the problem is kind of um, let let I, I gotta uh, jump forward a bit because this whole movie is kind of like Lars von Trier also going about what people say about him. Yeah, like, literally, the the Jack's character is saying that pe- uh, people might think he's um, he he's uh, against women or something, and then it shows scenes from other movies from Lars von right. Trier, like. <laughs> He he didn't go meta. He went full on. This is it. Right. Yeah. It was very in your face. <laughs> that <Yeah>. sequence. <laughs> you know, I was gonna wait till we got there, but that sequence while you're talking about it, that was near the end. That was in like the I think the fourth, yeah. the fourth incident is when that that all takes place. And you're right. He just starts showing scenes from his other movies. I mean, yeah, <laughs> from all his other <laughs> movies. And in a lot of ways, you know, as I watch this, because as a filmmaker, he has been regarded as. Uh, you know, kind of self-absorbed. And in a lot of ways, he does seem that way. I mean, he's, uh, and he pushes the envelope in a way that most people would never even think of. Now with this one though, and going back to the Uma Thurman stuff, the way it was shot was very different than a lot of his other movies, especially when you look at something like like Antichrist or even a Dogville, 
where it, the handheld was like violently waving, moving back and forth. It was there was not a ton of steady stuff, and when it did happen, it did stand out, and you'd see it. And I think to great effect, um, specifically when he had the uh, the house of bodies, you know, and you get that that long shot where it kind of pulls away. But we'll get to what the house of bodies is. You get that long <laughs> shot that kind of pulls away. But you're right in that she was telling him, okay, this is exactly how everything's supposed to go. And what blew my mind is that it happened that way anyway. And, but for some reason, you know, he keeps saying throughout the movie, and this is the first time you actually see it. And we get this reoccurring theme of, of luck. And when he drives the car across the state lines and he's like, well, they can't, cause this all takes place in the Pacific Northwest, like Oregon, Washington area of the United States. And he drives the car across the state line and he's like, well, they can't go over there anyway. And he, and he had already taken her to the service station to get her Jack fixed. Um, which I thought it was funny. They kept saying the word Jack and, you know, and then we, we break down into this, um, uh, sequence of explaining architecture and in the same way, Nymphomaniac was always talking about fly fishing. Uh, you know, this movie, I mean, he really breaks it down. Like it wasn't until they invented the point that structures could be more sound. And you see all these little animations with wind going over it and water going down it and stuff. And that's the kind of the core of this movie is this character views Jack views murder as a form of art. And he's trying to develop his form of art. Um, and the first sequence I think was the shortest one though, because that one didn't last long at all. They seem to get progressively yeah. uh, uh, longer as they went. All right. And, and we, it- we got to say uh, the, the Jack to the face was really graphic. Like mm-hmm. you could, you could see the, the face dented in which I think in, in that kind of way, I've only seen it in uh, Irreversible, where the guy gets his head, fire head extinguisher. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, this usually one, we, she... don't, we don't get this kind of um, misformant of the face. Yeah, there um, was a hole. I mean, you could see her brain. Yeah. Like, it was caved in, like, right, right in yeah. the middle of the forehead. And, I mean, Uma Thurman was good for, you know, for how it was written. I thought she, I always enjoy Uma Thurman. Yeah. She was a lot of fun. And, oh, we should mention, though, that they do um, kind of now reveal that he has this place that he bought that I thought was so weird with the pizzas. He's like, I bought these <laughs> this whole soul surplus of, of frozen pizzas, and I only ate one, and it tasted like trash. But he's got this, um, like, a freezer. Looked like it used to be like a storage freezer, a meat locker type place that he now has yeah. where he can take the, take the bodies. The the second one is when this full on became a Von Trier movie for me because he he has this weird, quirky way with dialogue and he he's always been kind of hit or miss for me. And I haven't seen everything, though. But the thing about him is I will always watch a movie if it's got his name on it because you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. yeah, you never know what you're going to get. And the second sequence might have been my favorite in all of it because it was so weird, so weird. So he shows up at this lady's doorstep and... <laughs> Yeah. He's <laughs> yeah, he just shows up and he's pretending to be a uh pretending to be a cop and but he's really awkward. Like it, it really, really awkward. And even Shana said when he put the glasses on, she's like, Oh, he's got the serial killer glasses on now. Cause he's got those big, you know, huge rimmed uh like eighties uh glasses. And this did take place, yeah. I think it's said over the the seventies and the eighties. But he shows up and then out of nowhere, he's just like, oh, well, what do you tell her? My badge is at the silversmith getting worked on. And I gotta, so I gotta, yeah, because he got a new one. He, he, right. He's got it polished or something. And it was it was secret information that he couldn't give her what his new, what his new rank was going to be. 
He's like, oh. And, and then he goes on. I, I loved it even more. Then he goes on to say, okay, this was all a test. I'm actually an uh, <laughs> insurance guy. Right. And this... <laughs> I, I, we were asked by the police to try this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and why would the police ever ask someone to pretend to be a cop if they were an insurance agent? And then he promises her that he'll um, uh, he'll be able to double her pension. He sees a thing on the wall that says, like, her husband, 25 years of service or whatever to the railroad. And he's like, well, we, I'm an, yeah, an insurance adjuster, and I can double your pension, and we'll make that happen for you. And so finally, because she's very apprehensive, and I can't remember her name, but she's been in some other stuff that I really, uh, I like her a lot. But she's very apprehensive. Yeah. Um, and, and then finally lets him in the house where he immediately, you know, turns on her, chokes her, and he thinks she's dead. But then we get this really strange, odd sequence of her kind of still being alive. Like maybe her, her windpipe or her esophagus was crushed enough. Then he's like, oh, lift your head up. Let me put a pillow underneath. And then gives her like a weird drink. drink. Yeah, gives her a drink of something. And he eventually does kill her. He stabs her with something uh, like a a letter opener, an ice pick or something like that. But this one was super cool in that you get to see his uh, OCD come out in full effect, which I thought was shot so good. Like you see him mentally, like what somebody with OCD goes through. You see him go through those sequences where he's like, well, what if there was something under the rug? And he even hears the cops coming, but his OCD overpowers his need to get out of that situation because he's already got her in the van. um, And then he has these mental images again. He keeps going. He goes back to the house like six times. And just he, he makes the cop. He, he goes with the cop to check the living room again and tells yeah. the cop they have to check everything. And he, he's he's still trying to to find out if there's anything left because yeah, I think that's that's something that uh, Lars von Trier is really good at is depicting um, mental illnesses in in, yeah. in many ways. Like yeah. he's really good at it. And yeah, here the OCD. Even though what what I thought was kind of weird was that it it never plays a role again. Right, like this. No, not like it's that. It's just in this segment. <laughs> yeah, it was only in the one in the one spot. And before he even goes in with the cop, though, he hurries up and just drags her into the bushes so that the cop can look in the van. And then you're right. He goes in with the cop and he's telling him, like, well, I heard a scuffle in this room. Like this room specifically should be scoured from top to bottom and determine if anything happened here. And then he <laughs> he gets away and <laughs> he just <laughs> he, <laughs> He just, he already had some rope tied around um, the body, around the ankles that was wrapped up in plastic. Well, he's going to try and get away fast. So he just ties the other end of the rope to the back of the van and commences on to drive all the way across town from this house, all the way to the freezer locker area and just leaving a huge trail of blood. And it was so gross watching that body get dragged because you're just seeing like bits and pieces come off and, and, the, yeah. and then when he gets her there, you talk about that hole in the forehead when they show the the <laughs> face of that woman that was behind the van, that was brutal. It was, yeah, this this movie was graphic, and yeah. as far as I know, what we've both watched isn't the full version. There's a longer version, yeah, that you couldn't release and oh, show that one festival. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, and her being dragged, and then throughout again, we get this inner monologue or dialogue of him and what we assume is. I mean, up until the end, I assumed it was and. I guess even after the end, I assume it was some kind of inner consciousness or some kind of, you know, piece of his mind that he was communicating with. 
And I don't know if you felt the same way or took away any of the I, same stuff. Like I, I took it pretty uh, literally like it was on the screen. And th that's something I wanted to get uh, to uh, later. I really guessed a lot of what is happening in this movie very early on. Yeah. Like I thought right from the beginning, oh, he's probably dead. And that's like death leading him. Uh, right. Yeah. To what, what was literally. And like, even though it's, and I, I had many points. I, I knew from the beginning like after I, I didn't know what this movie was about at all. I watched this movie no, knowing only it's called The House That Jack Built and it's directed by Lars von Trier. And after the first kill, I was sure the house that Jack built is going to be a house out of uh, humans. And <laughs> yeah. We're getting to that later. Yeah, but, we'll get um, to that point. And you're yeah. right. And, you know, we talked about von Trier and kind of this, him him almost like slapping Hollywood and, and mass cinema in the face. And being like, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do. And it was almost, and, and I don't even know if any of this is true. This is just my own interpretation of it. Uh, it was like you had said, it's like him being on trial for his art. It, yeah. it was almost in a way, you know, you could replace Jack with Von Trier and Verge or Virgil, whatever it was, with the, the, um, the not necessarily Hollywood because he's a Danish filmmaker, even though, you know, it, it, to be fair, a lot of filmmakers around the world, the the end game is Hollywood because that's where yeah. all the money's at. That's where the huge distribution is at. So I'll use Hollywood in this in this context, but I do mean the grand scale of of filmmaking and critics, the way people view film around the world, not just in Hollywood. Yeah. But you could replace those two figures with Von Trier and the Hollywood system, and it would still make the same exact amount of sense. Like yeah, each of his incidents, you could pick, you know, five of his movies. And, and line them up. And when I was looking through his filmography, there are about five of the big ones are the ones that I've seen. He has a lot of the smaller stuff, but there are these incidents. And and then, like you had mentioned, he just throws his own movies right in there anyway. Yeah. He, but but and like, uh, when you just said that, I got the idea. Um, yeah. At the, at the beginning, Verge says that, um, uh, yeah, you can try to tell me, but there's nothing I haven't seen. Right. He's, he's going on how he's not being shocked. And then at the end, he's completely shocked and freaking out. And that kind of reminds me of like also the viewers and the people. Like everyone says, okay, we've seen so much, you can't shock us. And then he puts right. one on top and makes like a movie so gross that it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that because he has when, to cut it down. Yeah, because when this released at Cannes is when you and I first started talking about it. Because there was headlines like everybody walking out of the new Von Trier movie. And we were both like, well, now we have to see it. Like, there's, we, we've absolutely got to see this movie. And so now the the third sequence is the one, the third incident. Now, wait. It's with the family. Right. The third one is the family. But did we get, was the duck at the end of the second sequence, the second incident? Or was the duck at the beginning of the third? I think it was the beginning of the okay. third. Yeah. Was that, that, oh, was that, that a real duck? No. They, okay. They, they talk, oh. I've, I've read some, oh. I read something on IMDb. That I think um, Peter actually said they thought it was a good is, yeah they 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 it, didn't condemn him for it because they said it's a characteristic of most because I did do a lot of reading last night at one o'clock in the morning when I finished this movie because we had been at my sister's all day for a holiday party and then when I clicked it on the uh, on iTunes and I was like two and a half hours I was like oh this is gonna be <laughs> this is gonna be a stretch but even after watching it at one o'clock in the morning I got on my phone and started reading through things specifically about yeah. the duck. And that's how I found out that PETA had said, you know what, this is actually, we're not mad about it because it is a characteristic of somebody to have these kind of psychotic tendencies as a child to be 
um, evil towards animals or murderous yeah. towards animals. But that scene, you could have fooled me. Oh, yeah, me too. Oh. I, I was worrying as well. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, like he literally picks up a little duckling and cuts a leg off and then puts it back into the water and we see it trying to swim and it can't really it's move. It's just swimming in a circle and he's kind of like laughing, enjoying it. Yeah. But the scene, I, I mean, I don't know where the cut came in or how they did the, the sequence where the CGI came in because it looks like he really did cut the leg off that duckling. And yeah. in so many ways, that was more emotionally traumatic for me than even a woman being dragged behind a van <laughs> getting her face yeah. because it was, you know, it was truly the destruction of innocence. Like that duckling did nothing. Like there was nothing, yeah. you know, at least with Michelle or with Uma Thurman, you could, you could be like, man, she was evil. She was just a, a crude person with the, with the woman in the insurance. Like, well, she should have known better. She shouldn't have let him in. <laughs> you can almost rationalize that in some way, even though you should, he should never be able to get away with it. You can still attribute something to that. But with that duckling, yeah. it was just true innocence. And yeah, he just with these wire snaps or now, garden shears. Let's let, let's talk about innocence and oh, uh, fucked up shit happening. The, the third story, that 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 story got I like again. I, it was very predictable. I knew from the very beginning right. where it was going. Well, because we and already we, knew he was we, a lunatic. We we knew he was yeah. like full blown psychotic by this point. But yeah. you're right. This was go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, then we we were told at the beginning. Uh, the the whole thing about uh, how hunting works, all the all the details and how you do it best, and then he goes to this hunting trip with his family, and uh, I I'm still not sure how he got this family. Like, sure the kids are not his because that would be, I, I wasn't sure, but I'm I I think the kids weren't probably his, and he was just like the stepdad. I yeah, I don't think they were his. I think he was dating the woman because she seemed so kind of um she was looking at him with almost admiration as he was explaining yeah. this and like teaching the boys like for her there was now a man present who was teaching them some things and being a fatherly figure not that a woman couldn't teach a, a kid to hunt or anything like that but in this situation specifically the mother had that look in her eyes like oh this is a good thing like now my boys yeah. will have that male figure in their life and um, this, this was a happy family like yeah. this was almost like too good of happier family like the, yeah. the mother's always smiling the one kid isn't as happy but he's still there and that's like always <laughs> he, he's called crumpy in the movie i think yeah it was <laughs> and it was uh, like leave it to beaver type family like you imagine your typical 1950s nuclear family that's what this yeah. was. these people yeah and he, he tells them about how to hunt best and then yeah i I mean, I fully expected it to happen. Right. I was still fucking shocked when it did, when he shoots them. And he even goes like, uh, but this family did it wrong because usually I think the mother goes last. And yeah, it was, I, or the, um, the, yeah, he explains. You, you just it. How, what, yeah, he, is it? he explained it in a way like if you were hunting deer, you shoot the, not the youngest fawn, I think it was, but like the the middle fawn. And that way the, Mother will go after that. There is this explanation. I can't remember exactly yeah. how he said it, but he he pretty much like you said, I knew exactly what was coming, but he laid it out in a way where it's like, okay, you do it in this order because you'll draw the other ones out. It was almost like dominoes. Like you have to knock over yeah. the first domino in order to get the other one to react. And that's what he explained it to the kid. Like that's how you hunt. Um, and But he kept telling him, he's like, no, I don't hunt anymore. I don't, I don't see the pleasure in it or whatever. <laughs> And so he does. The first kid takes off running. He shoots kid. And I think this is where some of the cuts came in because the cuts between him 
shooting and the kid falling were really hard cuts. And I think yeah. in a full version of this, knowing Von Trier's history in filmmaking, he probably did show, you know, a kid getting shot, like actually seeing yeah. it because all of it happened off screen. Like the bullet would fire. We'd see him pull the trigger and then you'd cut really hard and see, you know, a kid on the ground or something like that. We didn't actually see it happen. We did see him shoot the mom. Um, yeah. But he we, shoots we all of them. did see the, the leg. The leg, uh, you you like see it after, it? yeah. You see it after the fact, though. You don't actually oh, right, see it yeah. happen on screen, and uh, yeah, it was like completely mutilated, like two pieces almost. This leg, um, yeah. this leg being turned in half, and you know, and then the, the picnic. <laughs> it it was bad, and but even before we get to the picnic, you know, it reminded me of, uh, in a lot of ways, of uh, funny games when they they shoot the kid how how yeah. effective that one is and funny games is a very different movie in that it you know was very anti-violence and that was the whole message of the movie was to be anti-violence uh but in this one yeah von trier takes it a step further like we now got two dead kids and a, a live mom and uh, he sets she up has the- to feed the babies <laughs> the kids and, and the look on her face whoever she was i didn't recognize her but the look on her face she played that superb because the she looked like somebody who had just been mentally completely broken like her mental state of being was completely eliminated she was gone because yeah he put the two kids there and was like oh the the baby's hungry you better feed him he wants some potatoes and then she's just like shoveling food by the mouth of this her her, her dead kid it's horrible to even say that um it was it was disgusting, and uh, yeah, I, th- that I didn't see coming until it really happened. <laughs> right. And I was like, "Oh my god, he actually goes there!" And then he goes one step further when he brings the kids to the to, to the, the warehouse and says, yeah. he, he used he used uh, like he basically did a taxidermy, right? Right. He, and you've got this and, kid in this horrific smile standing up in the corner because he realizes that. And and even saying it out loud, man, it's terrible to to revisit this. But he determines like if you start working with things before rigor mortis sets in, with like poles and wires and and things, then you can put them. Because oh, we should have mentioned his big thing throughout all this. He always takes pictures of um, the people he had killed after the fact. And once we get to the next one, we'll talk about how crazy he really gets. But he always takes pictures of these of these people. And so he, yeah, he took the kid and like wired his mouth open into a big weird smile and like had his hand up like it was waving, and yeah. then just because he was corner. always crumpy, yeah, because <laughs> he was always crumpy. And and I did notice though throughout, you know, he mentions we're gonna see. Okay, I'll tell you about these five incidents. The body count in the freezer kept going up every time, so there were a lot of things happening in between. And yeah. in the next segment, the fourth one, he actually says, "Well, I've killed sixty people," um, and he tells the girl, "He's like, I could easily make it sixty-one." But we do see there were a lot of events that took place, but these seem to be the ones, um, you know, that were specific to, like, family, love. Um, the second one, I don't remember what he called it, what the reasoning. It was, The second one was almost just random chaos. Like, yeah. the first one seemed like a revenge thing a little bit. And then the, um, so the fourth one, we get to this, and again, he's having these conversations in between, and... I, th- I want to say it was the third or the fourth sequence where he showed all of the um, scenes from his movies. I think it was in the family one where they get to talk in any, or it could have been in the fourth one. I, I think it wasn't, f- it was pretty close to the end. It wasn't the, f- the end, but the last act was basically like 
it went right into the uh, the epilogue, right? Right. So I think it was the fourth one after the okay. fourth one because there they also talk about how he uh, how he always kills women. Yeah. And of course, with Lars von Trier, he's always called a misogynist. Like right. that's that's always what they say about him. And uh, because the woman in his like in Antichrist, um, the woman isn't exactly a good good woman. No. And even in <laughs> and, you know, we'll talk about some of the other ones after we wrap up yeah. talking about this one specifically. But so the fourth segment is him looking at love. They're talking about love, and he talks about well, I was almost in love once, even though when you see it on the screen, there was never any love there. Like in his mind, yeah. I think he was in love, but he's got this woman that he's with. And she keeps telling him, she's like, you're weird. Like, you're a really weird dude. And he uh, he takes her and, I mean, like, belittles her at first. Like, belittles her to the point of, you know, you you as the viewer are asking yourself, like, why doesn't she just leave? Just run and just leave. And then she tries and you almost get this Jeffrey Dahmer scene. I was like, oh, that reminds me, you know, when you read about Jeffrey Dahmer, how there was that one guy that had gotten away and went to the cop and was like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Like, this guy's trying to kill me, yada, yada, yada. And the co- Jeffrey Dahmer came out and was like, oh, don't worry, my friend, or about my friend. He's just on drugs and he's drunk, so uh, I'll take him in and take care of him. Don't worry about it. And we get that in this sequence. She runs out to the cops, and she's like, this guy's crazy. He just told me he killed 60 people. And then Matt Dillon comes out. And he's like, I did do it. And again, it, there's this weird like luck with this guy, how he, yeah. he just he just never gets caught because he tells the cop. He's like, I did do it. Um, don't worry about it, yada, yada. And then the cops tells her, like, oh, take your drunk buddy and, and get out of here. And they end up in the apartment together. He um, locks the door and commences on to mutilate her in a terrible way. But what we got to add with this segment is that... Um yeah, he belittles her. He's he's really shitty to her, but then he's always like these. Um, he's he's really like I, I get why she didn't run away right away because he does these things that seem very um, um, what's the word like very real, very true. Like when he when she doesn't want to look at him and he like takes the telephone and calls her. See, I'm here. And like, oh he's, yeah, he he's very um. Uh, almost what's the word now uh like he's he's feeling with her he's empathic yeah okay I, it, I could see a little bit of that in a certain way but then you it turns out he's not really he's like wh- when he said at the beginning that he was almost in love once i thought like maybe some of this was real yeah <laughs> when he when he is really nice to her at some points and then yeah he uh but the terrible <laughs> that's yeah. and but that's a a staple of a truly like abusive gross relationship is someone yeah. who can be so horrible and then be like, oh, no, it's okay. Don't worry, I love you. But then he does just break down and um, oh, he kills her in a, a terrible way. And even, you know, even after he draws on her and she's like, you're so weird. Like, everything you're doing is weird. Yeah. But then you get him telling her, and we've seen it in movies before, but in this one it was, it was I think, you know, Von Trier hit the nail on the head. You'll have the villain who's always telling the, the captor of, person like oh scream for help it's not gonna matter you know we've seen that in a lot of movies leading up to this point but dylan goes over to the window and just starts screaming like i'm mr what was his name mr sophistication he's like i'm mr sophistication because 
Yeah, by this point, he was sending um, pictures to the... No, it was after this one. I think this was the first picture he sent, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he yells out the window, I'm Mr. Sophistication, which is now his serial killer name. They're looking for him. But he cuts off both their breasts and actually puts one under the windshield wiper of the, the cop car, <laughs> of the cop who... also, that, that is a scene that was... I had to look away. <laughs> Yeah. When when he actually like because they show it all, right? They yeah. they go and yeah, that was that was really fucked. It was bad. And uh yeah, we got to say he also uses the other uh, the other breast um <laughs> to make a wall. As, yeah. And <laughs> I I wonder I wonder what what um where did he find a guy who did that? <laughs> right. Yeah, I I I don't know. You know, it was like you said, it was extremely uncomfortable. And he ends up killing this lady. But this is where it gets super weird. So he takes this woman to the freezer and he develops his film and he's looking at the pictures and he's not happy with the pictures. So he goes back to the freezer, gets the body. And as he's driving back, his whole goal, he's going to go back to the crime scene, repose the body to take better pictures because he needs better ones. And he sees a woman hitchhiking while he's, he, but he drives past her. And then you see him, Almost like his OCD kicks in a little bit. He can't just let that woman continue on and and walk away. So he turns the van around. I thought he was gonna stop and you know you know kill her in some way or something, but no, he just runs her straight over. Boom! And then he throws her in the back. And then you get this funny, almost like a you remember on Benny Hill when they would speed up the yeah. the, the video. It looks like that of him like running up all these steps to this uh, this apartment building, <laughs> carrying one body over his shoulder. Then he hurries up and runs back down, grabs the other one, takes him up there, goes back to the crime scene, restages and poses. And I thought that's where he got the idea for, um, or no, he said some comment, like her her weird pose made it that much funnier or something like that. Like yeah. uh, the scene was so much more hilarious. And we're <laughs> continuing to learn this guy's just out of his freaking mind. And, and again, throughout, or not even again, but... There was some sequences where it looks like he's actually building a um, a house on land, like a physical house. He keeps recounting, I, I got a big inheritance, and I always wanted to be a famous architect, and I'm going to build this house. He builds it with bricks between one segment and then knocks it over, then he builds with wood. And I, I want to say that's almost allegorious to his trying to determine who he is and figure out who he is as a killer and killing as an art form. And you see him trying to work through each of these different stages of, okay, well, that's not perfect. Like nothing for him was ever perfect. He's always trying to reach that next level, but he can never truly seem to get there. And that's when we get to the fifth sequence. And oh man, he, um, now he's like full blown, just he's, he's, there's really not even a ton of method anymore. He learns about, and I, I think they said it was like a Nazi thing where he had learned it I from. I think so, because they didn't, the bullets went uh, went low. And so they, they kind of like strapped them all together in a line and then just used one shot to shoot as many as possible. Right. And he's going to try and to recreate that. One thing, we, we haven't talked about the actors much, but one thing that was really crazy, like in, in this line, he has like five or six guys, right? Yeah. Five or six. And this this is the only segment where he kills guys, or at right. least tries. He doesn't kill he them. Does, he no, he's, he's, he's not successful. But um, he has one uh, Korean guy, and uh, that's uh, GTAU. I just looked him up because that's the bad guy from Old Boy. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> crazy. Like, 
that's such an awesome guy and he doesn't have any dialogue he's just like the the guy who's trapped there between three other ones and i thought that was crazy <laughs> well and i i was talking to to shana last night because you know there's been multiple movies with uma thurman multiple movies with willem dafoe and i was trying to explain to her i said you know um because when it first started up she's like oh that's that's matt first she said that's matt damon and i said no it's matt Dillon. she's like that's what i meant i knew what i was talking about but von trier is one of those people he's you know, I think if his content wasn't so intense, he would be up there with storytellers like a Quentin Tarantino. Like, he, his vision is so vastly different from anything you've ever seen before. And it, but because he's so intense, like, people could say Tarantino's intense, but you compare that to a Von Trier movie, it makes Tarantino look like a Disney movie. And yeah. But but you get all of these big name actors and, and great actors and great talent who want to work with him because they know, even if it is looked at in that way, you're working with someone like a Stanley Kubrick. You know, I wouldn't compare Von Trier to Kubrick, but in some ways you're working with someone who is uniquely special that only that person has. It can't be replicated or duplicated anywhere else. He He alone has the ability to put this type of content out there so you do get a lot of great talent and i bet you dude from old boy was like absolutely like you just you see the name and you're like okay i want to do it especially if you worked on old boy i mean you're you're used to some crazy crazy really messed up things <laughs> happening but we yeah we get this nazi experiment um that he's now trying to reproduce and like you had said it's essentially he he puts like a long pole like a big steel pipe in the middle of the room and then ties all these men to it, their heads, so that their temples are essentially lined up, one with the other, yeah. so that you could, in theory, shoot one bullet through and, and kill them all. But he needs this specific bullet. And maybe you can help expand upon this part of the movie for me, because I was a little bit confused at this part. This is one of the only times where I was like, what is going on? When he goes to buy the bullets, when he goes back to get the bullets, and because the, the first guy tied up to the, the pole was a military guy, and he's explaining the experiment, and he's like, oh, it's full metal jacket. And the guy looks at the bullet, and he's like, but it's not. That's not a full metal jacket. So he just leaves them all there and drives all the way back to the ammo shop. But when he goes in, there's a really strange exchange between him and the owner of the shop. And he's like, I've been bullet buying bullets from you forever, but it seemed like the shop owner almost didn't recognize him or know who he was. And yes. I don't know if you have any yes. more on that. As far as I... As I understood it, um, that guy was like a friend of his, basically. He and that other guy, I think his name is SP in the movie. Yeah, yeah, the one in the trailer. Um, yeah, they're like his friends. And so he always buys from them. And they they probably, because he sells them the bullets, he probably knew something was going on. Okay. And then later on, they, they said like the cops showed up. And uh, the cops were at, um, at his place. And so that's why he then was like, I don't recognize you. I don't know you. No, I haven't sold you anything because he was kind of like, no, I, I, he, he was afraid of him probably because he read him out to the cops. Okay. So that's so what he it just was. tried to, that, that's how I got it. Like right. he just tried to keep him away. And that's why he didn't give him the real bullets because he knew probably that he's not allowed to sell these bullets. I think like, okay. It feels like they're not legal bullets. Um, yeah. I mean, you can buy a full metal jacket, but, I don't know about then and at the time, but now again, at this point in the night, I mean, we're coming up on one in the morning when I'm watching this movie. So there might've been some things that I need to, to go back and watch again to, to see if there's anything, but yeah, then yeah, he ends up with this in this trailer with, like you said, SP who 
is holding him at gunpoint and they they accuse him of doing all these robberies. He's like, you got to stop doing this stuff. And that's when Matt Dillon kind of turns the charm on and you see him manipulating the situation and he ends up getting away again, you know, just by circumstance. He gets away all this time, but he's so, and I think you do see the OCD here. He's so like, he's tunnel vision, singular focus on getting back to this place and shooting this gun. So he takes the cop car with the lights on, drives it back to the place, and just leaves it outside the freezer. Lights, cherries, and berries. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> yeah, and, the whole time, yeah. Yeah, and he goes back in and puts the bullet in, and but he, the, the gun is too close. He can't focus the scope because the gun is too close. Anyone who's ever shot a gun or even used binoculars, he's just too close to where it's unable to focus, and he's finally able to open the room behind him which I guess we should have mentioned that from the beginning. There was, <laughs> yeah, there was a room he couldn't open. He just yeah. couldn't, and he didn't. He didn't try that hard, but also, right. yeah, he he couldn't open it. And then finally, he opened it, and he goes in. That's and when, yeah, there's where, that's when the beginning of the movie happens, basically. Right. Yeah, that's when we we finally run into Verge. Verge is just kind of over in the corner because he takes the gun and he's now got enough room. He takes the gun in, but he doesn't get the shot off because he becomes distracted by Verge, who's in the corner, and he's like, who are you? How'd you get in here? And they begin to have this conversation, um, and that's when Jack creates his masterpiece, which is just a, I mean, it really is a house made out of corpses. That's the house that Jack built. (laughs) Yeah, and it was the house that Jack built. And there's so much that you could say about that, that, just that one scene, you know, the fact that Jack was able to build his house and almost... You know, you 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 reap what you sow. So throughout the course of his life, and if this is like you had said, a judgment type situation where he's recounting how he spent his life over the course of his life, this is what he built. This is his claim to fame. And, you know, what he was able to do was all of these murders. And you actually have a physical house, though, on the screen. And he hears the cops outside. And he goes into the house and the cops take a couple shots, but they don't hit him. He goes into the house and there's just a, a hole in the floor. And this is now when it gets super weird. Like if it wasn't weird enough up until this point, this is when the movie gets weird. Him and Verge go down into this hole and then we get into the epilogue. And for the epilogue, for the first couple minutes, it was just a, like a spotlight. Like you imagine it was light coming down through the hole and just water running over it with them two talking. Yeah. And and at first I was like, okay, is that what this is gonna be? Like, are we just gonna end right here? But no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't end there. No, and we, we gotta say that this is it. It's literally the start of the movie again. Like we get the first right. dialogues again, and then we get basically all the scenes. Like every now and then, and like usually it's just the the story happening. But always between the segments, there was some short conversation that uh, Verge and Jack had. Yeah. That was just black screen or like pictures, um, like stock stock photos right. yeah. put on top. And um, and then we see those conversations play out in reality when they walk down this this way. And um Yeah, because they're almost at first they're in like an underground ton- it looks like a cave system. And yeah. and for a little while I was like, did he have this plan the whole time? But then I was like, no, he couldn't get into that room. Was it always like a fail-safe? You know what I mean? Like a place to escape yeah. from. But I had kind of abandoned that theory once Verge was in the room. And it's like, okay, there's no <laughs> way some man could have just been living in this dark room for all these years. 
but they end up in, in the this stock freezer. Yeah, this they end up in this cave system underground, and they're walking, moving around, and they're having they're continuing on the conversation now in in person in real time that they had been having mentally, and they can they continue to talk about the idea of the lamb and the tiger, and you know, in so many ways, the Jack says, well. You know, Verge is arguing, well, the lamb didn't do anything to deserve to be slaughtered. And Jack's argument is, well, the lamb is part of art. So in Jack's mind, all of these things he had done up to this point were part of the art. Like, it wasn't for nothing. They were mm-hmm. pr- becoming part of something bigger in some grand scale, some some magnum opus, if you will, of art. <coughs> and they continue on. And at one point, they float down in weird bubbles. And yeah, yeah, it was was the La La Land segment of that movie. Yeah, it was. It was the La La Land segment. And the the scene I really liked that I thought was just amazing to look at on the screen was them on different points of the two ladders. And you have this all you realize all the wall is just bodies and they slowly start to move like everything starts to come to life all at once. That was and at that point, I realized, okay, we're in some sort of hell. Like this is, yeah. yeah, we're in some, some sort of, of hell and he's kind of leading Jack to that final place. Um, and, and they did make reference. I think at some point they said we're at this level or that level. And it seemed like they were referencing a purgatory of, of mm. some, some sort, you know, the different levels of hell. And they eventually get to this bridge where Verge tells them where there's no way. Cause he's like, what's on the other side of that thing. And he's like, well, that'll get you out of this place. But and to me, it was because of Jack's actions, there was no bridge there. Like he didn't have the ability to ascend any farther. He was going to spend the rest of his eternity in this pit of hell. And there it was. um, So imagine a bridge with like a curved, like a horseshoe wall around it, you know, a stone rock face. And Jack says, um, has anybody ever tried to climb around the rocks to get to the other side? And Verge said, well, so many of them have tried, but nobody's ever made it. And he's like, well, I'm going to do it. The only thing I didn't understand about this, he tried to do it in that robe. And I was like, if anybody was climbing on rocks, seems like a robe would be a bad choice. Like yeah. <laughs> it'd, it'd be easy to get stuck on something. But he he starts to try and climb across the rock face. Verge, um, you know, takes off. Verge just isn't there anymore. I don't know if he walked away or just disappeared. Yeah, he, he, he actually, I, I remember he said like, uh, at first, like, this isn't the place we usually go to. But because we had such a nice conversation, I decided to show it to you. Okay. And, um, okay. And and then he, he said, "Okay, I'm going to try it." And yeah, there's only either he's going to make it or he's going to fall. So Verge left and said, "Okay, goodbye." Yeah, I'll see you later. Good luck. Yeah. And uh, Jack makes it about halfway before he loses his footing, and then he loses one of his hand grips, and then he just falls into a fiery pit, like the the lake yeah. of fire. Essentially, is what he falls down into. And then and we then just... we get. The, the perfect outro with uh, Hit the Road Jack. Right. It was perfect. <laughs> yeah. And we did get that one song that played throughout the, the whole movie. The, um, what is it? Fame? The, the, is it? Is I don't it? even know the song. It's the, the pianist playing it and singing to it a little yeah, bit. Right? Yeah. You mean that one? Yeah. Which I really like that idea that like they, they showed this, this random pianist and they always, that's the only music we had during the movie, right? Yeah. Was these well, interludes where he played. Well, no, you had the actual, um, let me see if I can find it. Uh, no, you had one actual song. The pianist he kept saying um, was like the greatest artist of that time or whatever it was. He kept making mention yeah. to that. But let's see. The House of Jack built. Uh, yeah, the only sound, the only song on the soundtrack is Fame. 
according to IMDb. Yeah, yeah. So that's the song I'm thinking of. Where it's fame, down to down, bound down, down on, two down, boom, fame. But I can't remember I don't who. Remember um, when it happened? <laughs> yeah, who sings the song? But it's a very, very. Um, it's it, it, Bowie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. David you're right. Bowie and John Lennon. Yeah, you're right. Um, so super famous song, but that played probably four or five times throughout the movie. But there's so much going on the screen, you barely even notice it because it's just nuts. Um, so yeah. Jack falls into the pit of fire, and then we get the title card directed, written and directed by Lars von Trier. So the house that Jack built, man, it's a it's a wild ride. It is a an emotional roller coaster of a crazy concept, and it is one that I think. I'm going to have to go back to and watch again because I, I, I do feel like in so many ways, you know, Von Trier was speaking directly to the audience and speaking to the Hollywood system about the way his art has been treated over the years. And we, we want to know if anybody else has seen it, please send us a message. Let us know what you thought, or if maybe we, and, and Josh and I have said this before about other movies, what we have said will not ruin the experience for you. Like there's nothing that can truly prepare you for everything that you're going to see. And it's, it's, you know, it is, it is violent and vile, but it's also super emotional. It had some strong emotional punches in there, which, which he does very well as a filmmaker, but overall I did enjoy it a lot. I liked it more than I liked uh, nymphomaniac, but with his movies and even with this one, there were times when, it just felt slow. And I was like, Oh, like we still got so That's... far to go. And I mean, he is kind of famous for that, but yeah. there was, yeah, there was times where that runtime, I was like, whoo, like, man, we're, we're still going. Yeah. I got to say, um, Lars von Trier uh, is one of my favorite directors. I think like every movie I've seen of his, I loved at some level. Yeah. Like not, not just enjoyed or liked, but I, I love them all. Like I want to see all of them. I want to own all of them. And he is, I I think it's probably because he's one of the most, you can't say that like that because that's not a word, but the most unique directors out there. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's just, um, there's, okay. So let's, let's talk about some of his other stuff that we've seen. And so my first introduction to him was Dogville. And, in Dogville, you've oh, that's, got... That's a crazy introduction. So you've got... Yeah, yeah. Believe me, it was crazy. You've got Nicole Kidman, um, stars in this one, and she's absolutely just perfect across the board. What caught my mind about this, because I saw it right after it hit, I think, DVD, is when I picked up a copy of it. I didn't even know who he was as a writer or director. And this whole movie is shot on an old soundstage and set up like a stage play. You know, it's just like weird set pieces, but no real sets, no nothing. And you've got Nicole. Just chalk drawings on the floor. Yeah. And um, it's what, like three hours long? I want to say it came in close to. Yeah. Two hours, 58. Yeah. So three hours of movie, but never once did I feel bored or like I was losing something because the story is so traumatic. And there's a line in that movie when... um, you know, Nicole Kidman is going to... I don't know if we should spoil anything else for his movies. No, I think not for this one, no. Yeah, okay, yeah, because there is some stuff. But the payoff in this was so good. But his ability to draw me in and make me feel emotion so strongly, I was like, okay, there's something unique about this guy. Not even in his weird direction, 
with this movie. But in this, it, it works really well. Don't let that detour you from watching it because the, the set design and all that works super effectively. But the emotional punch that this movie gives you is it's, it's intense. It is super intense and hard to, hard to swallow a lot of times. But, but man, it was good. What was the first one you saw of his? Uh, I'm pretty sure the first one I saw was Antichrist. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which is, we, we got to say, it's one of the most uh, more accessible movies for yeah. normal horror, or normal watchers. Also, we haven't talked about this. This is a horror podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we got to, let's get into it right now. You say even Antichrist is not a horror film. <laughs> right. Um, I, but okay, so I didn't say it wasn't a horror film. I said it's not a horror film in the traditional sense. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because it, it is horrific in the the events that happen. And even without giving away any of the plot of Antichrist, it opens up with a child dying. And, yeah. you know, that in itself is horrific, I think, in a way then that'll be as scarier and more intense than a Michael Myers or a Jason, because it's something that I think any parent or any person can relate to and easily empathize with and feel some of how horrible that would be to go through that experience. So Von Trier is like real world horror. Cause even with Dogville, you know, you feel so bad for Kidman's character and you see the horror of humanity in that one. Yeah. It really is, man, them people are bad. Uh, they're really bad. But with antichrist, I do remember. And that one, you're right. It was accessible. And then I remember seeing it on, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, it was on Hulu and Amazon prime for a while. It was available for digital streaming so it's not something that is so so over the top that it's it's not put out there. Like you'll never see a Serbian film on Hulu or Amazon or Netflix. It's just never going to happen. Yeah. But with this one, it does have its super graphic moments, but it, it is very real. And, you know, he takes with that one. I always felt he took the emotional turmoil that someone felt would feel inside and found a way to make that real on the screen. Like, how do you visually represent true emotional despair and just being at the absolute bottom of the barrel. And he finds a way to do that. That is super effective. So wait, how old were you when you saw this movie for the first time? Was it? <laughs> um, let, let me think it, it must've been around 2012 or 13. So okay. it isn't that long ago, but, yeah. but it doesn't uh, yeah. matter. It doesn't matter how old you are. It, it messes you up no matter. Uh, it messes you up. Yeah. This is one. I still remember when I watched it at what, at what point I was, because we, we were on a vacation and with the whole family and just came home. I got to my room and I watched it on my laptop, uh, on my computer screen, because at that time I didn't have a, a TV in my room. I watched it on my computer screen from my bed. It was dark outside and I was scared because yeah. The, the sound design when uh, like it's about a couple who are uh, in a um, in a retreat in a in a cabin in the woods basically after losing and, their kid they they lose yeah. their kid but you should mention they lose their kid while having sex is how yeah. this happens yeah in in a very in a very beautifully shot black and white scene right and yeah they they go on this retreat and every night the um uh, some what is it called like these things that hail down from the trees uh, the yeah um, the acorns Weren't they acorns, acorns? Exactly. yeah and uh that's that's such a that sound design because there in this as well there isn't that much music at least not that i remember no not the sound time. design of of just these these acorns uh raining down and it's always yeah and um it it sounded it it sounded awesome and um yeah the 
and this is one of those movies. The whole movie has only three credited actors right. and also three actors in general, and only two really because the last one is the son. Uh, I, I think son, yeah. probably, yeah. Yeah, it was the kid. And in this one, they were only ever called he and she. You don't even need, yeah, exactly. yeah, they never even have uh, real names for these characters. And it, yeah. it, it, you know, it is the ex exploration of emotion and kind of what somebody would go through. But, um, and, and Willem Dafoe just absolutely, yeah, I mean, he's always good, you know, and I don't yeah. know her as well. What's her name? Um, uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg. Yeah. I don't know her he's as basically, she, she's basically a, a last for Tria staple. Like, Right, she has been in *Nymphomaniac*, uh, *Melancholia*. Well, yeah, she was the she was the lead in *Nymphomaniac*. She was uh, she's the one who played yeah. Joe. Yeah, yeah. And she's but I was trying to think of stuff outside of um, his works that I had maybe seen her in. But oh, she was okay. So I saw her in *The Snowman*. She was in that recently. Um, and then I'm trying to look uh, anything else, but nothing really jumping out at me. That she she does some uh, some bigger movies. She wasn't yeah. Independence Day. Oh in the, yeah, in the, in the sequel. But his movies is where I remember her the most from, and yeah. um, Antichrist. Yeah, it's oh, it's intense. It it really is. And I never got a chance to see Melancholia, and that was the that was the first one. Because what do they call this? The the Depression trilogy, or I think something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Melancholia is Melancholia. Um, yeah, sorry it's about great. that. It's great. I've I've seen that and um it's the the plot uh yeah, the the plot on IMDb is just not really so what you, it's about. So you you give it's me his... you give me in your words what this movie's about. Well, okay, so in in general this movie is about depression. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's it manages to show depression in a way like often movies try to depict depression. But with this movie it doesn't depict it. You feel it. You you get what's going on, and so the 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 story is it's basically two parts because he always likes putting something in parts. The first part is uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg's character getting married, and um, and her sister, I think, uh, played by Kirsten Dunst, she's the main ca uh, character, and she's really depressed, like she's completely down. She the the whole time she's basically ruining the the wedding, and then the second part is. There's a um, a comet or planet called Melancholia flying to Earth and destroying Earth, and the people know, and this is their last their last few days. Oh, or even okay. the last day. And so then everyone else is depressed, but she is super happy. And uh, wow, and th that movie is is great. And I could tell you this, and it doesn't ruin anything in the movie. The movie is beautifully shot, like it. it he, he does some slow motion every now and then. And this is one where we basically have pictures, just pictures and the camera moves through them. It looks amazing. And yeah, this oh, movie cool. managed, this movie manages to make you feel depressed. It makes you feel, it's such a weird feeling. This movie gives to you. Yeah. I want to watch this one now. I'm going to have to find you it. Should. Yeah. Cause I know it's been on my list for a while. I've just never gotten around to seeing it. But it is, you know, being, and again, like we mentioned earlier, if I see his name on something, I want to watch it just to see, see what's going to happen. And uh, he followed up that with both parts of Nymphomaniac, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Um, these are probably my least favorite of his movies, but that is not to say that I didn't take things away from them. And I think that's important because 
I think just contextually there were there were elements I didn't um and and maybe it was just because the, there's some stuff in here that's brutal. Like by the time you get to the second, um, once she meets up with what's his name, um, I can't remember his name, the one who beat her up all the time, who they were super yeah. into like the sadomasochistic stuff, and that that's intense, man. That is, yeah, I. I- I gotta say, I haven't seen the second movie yet, oh, but my, okay. my girlfriend watched it yesterday, and while she was watching it, yes, two days ago, she I started think, throwing while up she was all watching over herself. It, <laughs> we, we were we were like uh, uh, video chatting a bit and hanging out together, and she always said like, "Look at this, look at this," and then she turned the camera around and made me watch this scene where where he beats her with the with the staff and yeah. Ah. I mean, they get to a point where there's like a cat of nine tails that we don't want to see. And that's, you know, I'm yeah. always, um, like, as much as I love horror movies and, and all things horror, the hardest thing for me to ever watch on, on screen is any kind of sexual abuse. I, I don't know yeah. why. I just, it, it really irks me in a way that almost nothing else does. And so that one, it, it, it was hard. But you haven't seen the second one yet, but I did yeah. like the... The end of the second one is super intense, and it's it's like just wow, you know. It's, yeah, I've, it's, I've heard of the end. Um, yeah, yeah, it's wow. But but that whole mo- those both those movies deal with a woman who you know it's it's it, it's almost a sexual liberation in the way. And there's this weird stuff where she has this um, conversation. I can't remember if it was in the first or second one where she has the conversation with the pedophile, and he's like, um, um, she's she almost respects him for not acting on his urges because through her all whole life, she ends up reaching this point where she gets to that guy who beats her up and stuff because she can no longer feel anything. And it's the only way that she can actually feel is to be in this crazy relationship. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very, very intense five and a half hours of, of movie. If you've, uh, if you've never seen it, it's, it's something, something to behold for sure. And I think those sure. I think those are all the ones that I've seen of his, including the um the newest one. Yeah, the House of Jack Bill, Nymphomaniac, Antichrist. Let me see. Um like okay, I, yeah, I've so there's one I, I really want to see, but uh, haven't yet. Now I, I hope that is by him. But there's this this one, and if I if I saw it right, he made like some some show called like a children's hospital or something that is directed by Lars von Trier and or in, in parts and written by Stephen King. Oh wow. Which which sounds awesome and I really want to see it, but I I feel like I re- I feel like it. I remember that being on TV. I feel like I do remember let, that, but I'm not let, seeing it. Let me just it. see. There's this TV show, Children's Hospital. And now let me see if it's if I'm right that Von Tria did an episode or something about it. Cuz oh, was Maybe it the, no, though. was it um The Kingdom? I, that I, might be it. Yeah, as well. I want to say it was The Kingdom. Because it was from the mid '90s, and I remember that. Um, and I want to say that had to do with a um, with a hospital. Yeah, doctors at an ultra modern hospital in Denmark become convinced by way of weird, inexplicable happenings that the place is haunted. That's what I was thinking of the uh, the hospital one because that was a big deal. That was um, okay. But the two that I really want to see that I haven't had a chance to see, well, outside of melancholia, I do want to see. Um, but the boss of it all, and then I've always heard good about uh, Dancer in the Dark. So I want to check mm-hmm. out both of those when I get a chance. Yeah, I want to see those. And I've seen one more, actually, because I knew we were going to talk about him. And so I watched one more, uh, which isn't horror at all, but I just want to throw it out there because 
I guess in some point, every Last for Trier movie feels kind of scary yeah. <laughs> to watch. And um, because he he had he started this movement in the in the nineties called the Dogma Dogma ninety five, okay. where um, there there were these real strict rules. They wanted to get away from the studio system, and so they invented these really strict rules. Like you you can't you can't you, you can only use natural lightning. You can only use places that actually like you can't bring any props. Everything that's happening has to be there already where you shoot. You um you can't uh, have anything fake like you can't have any murders or anything because that would be fake and it has to be as realistic as possible. You also can't even use stock music or any music other than if it's at the place at the oh, time wow. it happens. Okay, and so it's really strict and actually <laughs> he made this mo movie for this movement and um he didn't follow all the rules because he <laughs> used music on top of it, but it's called the idiots which is um, a really interesting concept. It's about uh, a group of people who just play mentally retarded, who just play that because they want to, they feel, um, um, they, they, they feel like oppressed by having to be normal all the time. And they want to let out their inner, their, their inner crazy person. Yeah. And they, they call it the Gaga. The, okay. Their inner Gaga. And, um, and so it's it's about just this commune basically they all live together it 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 feels like and yeah they they just everyone can just act the way they want at that point and, and they he always just go filmed on trips it? and what? he just and he just filmed this like no, were, no this is this is a movie he uh, that's what i'm saying this. though but it. was any of it improv or was it all scripted i mean it, 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 the, the idea sounds crazy yeah it was it it was all scripted it's completely a uh, completely okay. normal movie all right Oh, another thing is they can't use any uh, any unnatural camera movement. It has all to it. It must all be handheld. So this whole movie feels like a documentary. Okay, and um, it's it's really good. And it was abandoned UK for some time because it has uh, an actual because Last from Tria is crazy. It has a a, a real sex scene like uh, unsimulated and on camera. Oh wow! And that's just something he really likes to do. And it's just like one quick croup orgy, <laughs> but yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that movie is... All right. I'll have to check it out. Where'd you find it at? Was it streaming or did you buy no, it? No, I actually, I, I bought a, a, a Dogma 95 box, which has three movies from that uh, thing. Oh, that's cool. The Idiots from Last von Trier and two other ones. So I'm excited to watch the other two. <laughs> oh, nice. I'll have to keep my eyes open for it and see if I come across yeah. it. Because that does sound interesting. And like I it said, is... I mean, the dude, I'll watch anything he does. It's just, yeah, um, me too. I, I will. I will always. That's. I didn't know anything about the house that Jack built. I just decided I'm going to watch it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So this was an episode, I guess, light on the horror. Yeah. Even <laughs> but, though uh, I mean, I, I don't even know if I call it light on the horror because if you were to sit down and watch all those movies, you're not going to feel light on anything. You're gonna. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. But this is. Um, this will actually be our last episode together before uh, before Christmas. Because oh yeah yeah next week um, I'm gonna be out of town and we were fortunate enough Will from uh, Hey Down in Front podcast is gonna record with Josh and it's funny because you had both texted me and so I helped you guys kind of connect a little bit and Will texted me he's like hey man uh, we got we got we got to figure it out what we're gonna talk about it's gonna be great and I told him the same thing I told you and you're like oh we got a topic I was like I don't want to know I was like don't <laughs> even tell me I just want to be completely surprised by it. 
Uh, but I am very confident that you guys will have a good show together, just knowing the both of you. I think it's going to be good. So thank you to uh, Will for for coming on and you know taking some time out of your day before the before the holidays and, and doing yeah, that. Yeah, I think if everything goes right, we'll record the day before Christmas Eve. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> because that's the Sunday when the episode drops, so we'll right. record then. So that's your Christmas uh, present so, yeah. to the world. Josh's, Josh and Will's yeah. Christmas present to the world. Um, all right. Yeah, and so, your Christmas present is to not be there. That's also right. very nice of you. <laughs> <laughs> it, um, yeah, yeah. nobody likes me. You can go back to the, the episode Josh did without me. Where he's like, I'm just going to get rid of Joe. Um, but uh, we do want to hear what you think about Von Schreer. And if you've seen any of his movies, you know, your thoughts, please shoot us a, a message, an email, ihohpodcast at gmail.com. Super uh, interested to see what anybody thinks about about him as a filmmaker. And if you get a chance, check out The House the Jack Built. It's, um, and to be honest, though, I would say that would be almost a good entry to Von Trier. Uh, you know, it, it does. I think so. Yeah, I think it would be a good starting point because the other ones, um, and, and maybe Antichrist hit me a little harder just being a father. If you're, if you're a parent, that one, it can be rough. Um, but yes, Chet, let us know what you think about his movies and be sure to reach out to us on social medias, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at IHOH podcast. And as always get on to Apple podcasts, leave those rate and reviews. Um, that would be a good Christmas present. You want to give us a great gift. It's a free one. All you got to do is, uh, jump on there, leave a rating, leave a review. We would appreciate it, uh, uh, more than, you know. And so, yeah, this is it. I'll talk to you after uh, Christmas. We'll be back. We'll have some fun stuff planned for, for next year. Because, yeah, if we do, if you do one that Sunday, we'll have one the Sunday before New Year's. So we'll have one. Um, maybe we can talk about New Year's Evil and all the, uh, the, the horror New Year's movies. There's a new one on. Um, I meant to tell you. Did, oh, you don't have Hulu over there, do they? No, we don't. Oh, man, I wonder if they have those movies that they've been putting out. I talked about it um, like a week ago, Puka. But there's a new one coming up that's a New Year's Eve themed horror movie. So I'll yeah. find I'll find the name of it and I'll shoot it over to you because you're you do luck out in some ways. Like you got Titans, I know is over there. So sometimes even when it's not on Hulu, they find a way to distribute yeah, it just because you don't have the And it really helps that I got all the streaming services available right. over here. So <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if it comes out, I'll get my hands on it. Nice. I'll find the name of that and I'll shoot it over to you. Uh, but for the International House of Horrors podcast, I am Joe Murrow. And I am Josh. And we'll be back next week with all things terrible, horrible, brutal, bloody, and the macabre.